0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Clearly all of you in here today didn't get the message that today's topic is self-control. Uh, I know that's probably not the sexiest of all the fruit of the spirit, you know, like let's get, let's get up today and talk about disciplined life. You know, that uh, sounds real exciting. Maybe you're like, uh, you know, you know, cause we're in this series, we're wrapping it up today. The penultimate fruit of the spirit, self control. Yeah. You may be like uh pink Floyd, you know, like we don't need no self control. Right. Or like uh Sonic lately, uh, they've got these new things. Uh, what, what is that thing called? Thought on the screen. I can't remember what it's called. Do we have that? Okay, here it is. Yes. What are these things called? Sonic blasts. Yeah, that's right. Now it's not the time for self-control. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I need three of those. Yeah. Yes. You may be like that. But here's the thing. Um, every day, every hour, in fact, this very moment, like while you're hearing these words, there are dark Evil forces that are seeking to penetrate your very soul and destroy your life. Like, that's right. Like Satan, the destroyer, the thief, the liar, the one who, when he speaks lies, he's speaking his native tongue. He comes to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy You. He wants to ravage your life. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to undermine your hope in Christ. And his forces are constantly testing the defenses. They're poking at the wall. They're looking for weaknesses. Trying to find a way in. And here is the most terrifying part. He has an ally on the inside. There's a mole. And you know who it is. In fact, you look at him every morning when you look in the mirror. You are your own greatest enemy. And this is why, I'm sorry, Sonic, but now is the perfect time for self-control. Because Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says that like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. When we lack self-control, all of our defenses are down and that enemy and his forces make their way right in. So to help us understand this type of self-discipline, this self-control that the spirit wants to grow that the spirit is growing in us who are trusting in Christ i want to look to our teacher we need help from our teacher which is the lord jesus not that's not me the lord jesus so let's look to him i want to go to matthew chapter 26 matthew chapter 26 we're drawing near to the end of the life of jesus not drawing near we're at it this is it jesus knows what's what's coming He's about to go to the cross, but first he's going to go and wrestle with his father in a garden. Matthew 26 verse 36 says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and that's James and John. Along with him. And he began to be sorrowful. And troubled. By the way. Jesus has perfect self-control. Okay. And even when we have self-control. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience trouble. And Jesus here. Is sorrowful and very troubled in his spirit. He said to them. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death. Stay here. And keep watch with me. Going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground. And prayed. My father if it is possible. May this cup. Be taken from me. Yet not as I will. But as you will. And then he returned to his disciples. Found them asleep. Couldn't you men keep watch with me. For one hour. He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. It was the middle of the night. So he left them. And went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's pray. Father, we need your Spirit's help because we need to grow in self-control to be like Christ. He's our master. So help us understand some things that only you can do, Holy Spirit, not only you can help us understand. We want to know spiritual things. We want to draw close to you, Jesus. We want to be more like you when we walk away from here. We want to put things into practice. So we're just going to need you. We we'll just recognize that now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jesus tells Peter, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And temptation, I don't know about you, but I, it seems to me for, for everybody, it shows up in a different way. So what does, what does temptation look like for you? Not, don't say it out loud, but like, what are the things that are constantly seducing you away from Christ? Like maybe it's laziness or the opposite. Maybe it's overworking or mindless binging on entertainment. Maybe you're tempted to overeat or overdrink. Maybe you're tempted with impure thoughts or tempted to despair about the future. Maybe you're tempted to blame others or fudge on your taxes. It's when we fight temptation that we realize just how, golly, I'm going to get this down. Hold on. Okay, there we go. It's like when we start fighting these temptations that we realize how strong they are and how weak we are. And C.S. Lewis writes about this. He says, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply doesn't know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until We try to fight it. Amen. Which is why Oscar Wilde famously said, I can resist everything except temptation. (laughs) Amen to that. It's when we try to fight temptation or exercise self-control that we realize that the war is on. And maybe like me, you identify with Paul's words in Romans 7. I call it the doo-doo passage. Like You know what I'm talking about? It's the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. I don't do the things I want to do and do do. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And he wraps it up in verse 21 and says, Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Like, yes, God, amen, I want to do it. But I see another law at work in me. It's waging war. Anybody else feel like that? Anybody else feel like there is a war constantly going on inside you? So self-control is an issue for all of us. It's a pretty serious one. In fact, over the past few years, we've seen headline after headline of public figure and I hate to say, it, Christian leaders who've had mo- deep moral failures. Some of these people I've looked up to, I've read their books, watched their talks, listened to their podcasts. I wanted to emulate their lives. And not only did they end up giving into temptation, but they hurt a whole lot of people in the process. How, how do you get to that point? Or better yet, how do we avoid doing the same? So in the passage we just read a few minutes ago, Jesus is praying in the garden. And it's building up to the most stressful point in Jesus' life. Luke's gospel records that Jesus, while he's praying, is literally sweating great drops of blood. Like Luke, the medical physician here, describing a medical condition where the stress is so great that capillaries literally burst and that blood mixes with sweat. He is stressed. And it's in moments of stress, you know, when we're tired that we're most vulnerable. Last week, (laughs) I went, (laughs) I went with a group of students to Myrtle Beach for beach camp. And it was a little stress before we left because, well, one, anything like that's always stressful. (laughs) Okay, just it is. It's stressful. You're trying to, you know, it's like herding cats sometimes. You know, you got uh, 30 teenagers or well, 25 teenagers, you're trying to, you know, get them all the same place safely. That can be a little stressful. And not only that, but we go to pick up our two rental vans in Jonesboro, and uh, we're supposed to have two 15-passenger vans, and when we get there, there's only one available. We've already paid for two. You know, we're ready to go. It's a day before we leave. You can't find one. You've got to reserve them like three, three to six months out. And so we're like, what are we going to do? Well, anyway, so I come up with this brilliant plan. I'm going to take, uh, a, we're going to rent a minivan, because they had a minivan. That'll hold seven. And then I've got, a, uh, I've got an expedition. That seats eight. Granted it has 200,000 miles and granted the, uh, timing chain's loose and it's knocking, but you know, it'd be fine. My wife even told me, she's like, Barbara, do you really think this is a good idea? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, well, I wasn't, believe me, I wasn't like, this is a great idea. This is what we should do. I honestly was feeling like, what are we going to do? You know, we got to pull a trailer that has our uh, luggage in it. We'll take it. It'll be fine. I prayed about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Lord will take care of it. I got some faith, you know? So anyway, uh, we're a little stressed because we're, we're on day two of our trip. We've stayed the night in Atlanta. We're on day two. We've made it now. We're in South Carolina. We stopped for lunch at a Chick-fil-A. God bless them. And uh, after we get done, while we're eating, you know, I've got the door open. We're all eating in the cars because we're in a hurry to get there. The beach is calling. And uh, But not only is the beach calling, I open the door and I hear something else calling. It's my motor. It's rattling really good. And I'm like, uh... It'll be fine, you know. We close the door and we head off. And as I'm hitting the gas, you know, it's like, brrr, you know, really trying to go. I'm like, boy, help us, Lord, you know. So stress is rising. Anyway, we get a little couple miles down the road. I'm hitting 70 miles an hour now. I'm like, it's gonna be fine. Well, then my oil, oil gauge or whatever just poof falls over. The engine dies. I pull over to the side of the road. Got the flashers on. Now you talk about stress. You're on I twenty, I twenty, or whatever. Cars zooming by. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no no towns nearby. You've got thirty people literally on the side of the road. You're standing outside. It's a hundred degrees. It is miserable out there. You're trying to figure out how we're gonna get all these people where they need to go. Anyway, just stressed out. Okay. So we finally figure it out, and like there were these five other adults with me. I'm telling you, with they were incredible. But anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm standing there with my expedition and, uh, Mark Burrow. Okay. We're just standing waiting on help. You know, everyone else is gone. And, uh, I call a record service. The lady asked me, well, what mile marker are you at? I'm like, I, I don't see a mile marker. Well, they are every mile you should be able to see one. I'm like, well, there's not a mile marker in the spot where I am. You know, I'm not even sure what exit we just got off on blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, we go and we have to Figure all this out, all right? I'm not trying to bore you with all the details. But anyway, after a couple of hours, we're finally on our way back to my truck with a new rental van. We found us a 15-passenger van. And so we're in that van. We're headed back to my, my truck on the side of the interstate highway, trying to beat the wrecker there so that we can get all the luggage out of the trailer and stow it in this van. And as we're just arriving, I, um, I call the wrecker service back, and she says that they've not dispatched the wrecker yet. I'm like, oh, okay, perfect, you know, so it's, again, it's kind of inching up here, you know, and I feel like I've been prayerful this whole time, I've exercised, I thought, good self-control, and then she asked me one more time, this is the third time she's asked, now what mile marker are you at, okay, now I had told her, to her defense, in her defense, I had told her that I would look when I left, you know, I would look for the nearest mile marker, and I didn't, you know, So I'm like, oh, I I didn't look for, I didn't see the mile marker. I'm not sure which one we're at. Well, then she laughs as she says, well, honey, you just drove right back to it. You didn't see a mile marker. And she's laughing. That was it. Okay. (laughs) So I said, you know, I said, you know what? Flesh, it's your turn, you know? And so I said, I said, uh, look. I don't appreciate being laughed at, you know, like I have had a really hard day, you know. I, it is a hundred degrees outside. My, my truck is broken down. I'm 12 hours from home. I need you to send a wrecker over here. It's been, a, I don't appreciate the way you're talking to me and the way you're laughing at me while I'm in distress. Like, I'm going to give her now a lesson on customer service. Okay. So I want to talk to you about the, well, she then interrupts me and says, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I've had a hard day too. I'm like, don't tell me about your hard day in your little air conditioned room. Uh, I have had a hard day. I don't want to hear about your hard day. Well, after she hears from me uh, and I'm, I've calmed down a little bit, she apologizes and says, listen, I'm really sorry. It has been a hard day for me. Today is the one-year anniversary of me losing my son. <laughs> and I'm just like, "Ah, oh, what do I do, you know? I'm just, so then I just like swallow the crow and I'm just like, ma'am, I'm, I don't know what to say. It's been a hard day. Thank you for taking care of us. And I hang up the phone. Oh, those moments of stress, I lost self-control and it happens to me all the time. That was just like a recent example. It probably happened yesterday, you know, but Jesus, no, he stays the course. He remains faithful and he holds it together when everyone else around him has fallen apart. Jesus shows total self-control all the way to the end, like from his agony in the garden that we just read about to the, uh, uh all the way to the cross till he takes his last breath. Over a hundred years ago, there was this guy named S.D. Gordon who uh, used to write these little uh, papers. I can't remember what's uh quiet talks is what he called them. And he wrote about the self-control of Jesus in death. I'm going to put this on the screen. It's phenomenal. He says, In the midst of excruciating bodily pain, Jesus thinks of his mother. And with marvelous self-control speaks the quiet word to her and John that ensures her future under his filial care. And then John, the gospel writer, significantly adds that Jesus, knowing that all things are now finished, So with masterly forethought and self-control and deliberation, Jesus had done the thing he had set out himself to do. Never was yielding so masterful. Never was a great plan carried out so fully through the set purpose of one's enemies. In other words, like Jesus carries out his plan through his enemy's plan. His very, his every action bears out the word he has spoken, that no man taketh my life away from me. I lay it down myself. So now his great work is done and thoroughly done. His lips speak the tremendous word. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was his own act. The self-restraint was strong upon him till all was done that was needed for the great purpose in hand. Then his head is bowed. His great heart broke under the terrific strain on his spirit as he allowed his life to go out. That is control. And here's the crazy thing. How did Jesus do that? How did he have such masterful self-control? Well, if you read through Luke's gospel, he makes it abundantly clear over and over and over that Jesus walked by the Spirit. Through the Spirit's power, Jesus accomplished what he had set out to accomplish. And here's the crazy thing. That same Spirit lives in you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that spirit comes in. If you've been born again, he lives in you and empowers you to do the same thing. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, that's been our focal passage these last two months. Walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit's what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. But When we walk with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. So what can we learn from Jesus in this area? And I'm going to give you three quick things. We'll see if I can practice self-control and get us out of here in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> we got things to do today, by the way. I need to get out early because we're heading to Florida today. I've got a group of 10 that's going down. No, 10 plus me. We're going down to a Student Leadership University, and they've got to get to eat some pizza. So, real important. Jesus does have a couple things to teach us from the passage we read. Three simple things. And the first is foundational to the next two. Okay? The first one is, if we're going to grow... ...in self-control or we're going to create fertile soil for the spirit to produce self-control. We have to know our weaknesses. You've got to know your weaknesses. Jesus seems to be aware of something that all the other disciples are totally oblivious to. And it's this. The flesh is weak. The late comedian George Carlin... ...he used to do this bit about drivers. Okay? Okay. Comedians love to riff on drivers, but it's because we all drive. And this is what he'd say, that those who drive faster than us, you know what they are? Maniacs. That's what we call them. They're crazy. But there's a second group of drivers, the ones who drive slower than us. You know what they are? Idiots. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yeah. So it's like I could be driving down the road. Ace knows what I'm talking about. Like, Dad, are there any idiots on the road today? Like, He's been riding with his mom lately. (laughs) So it's funny. But the presumption behind this is that me, I drive exactly the right speed. Everyone should drive my speed. Those people who drive too fast, they've got it wrong. Those who drive too slow, they've got it wrong. And so often, like, I live with that attitude with regards to the rest of my life. They've got it wrong, and they haven't got it right either. But me, I'm living just right. And this is crucial when it comes to self-control. So you might want to tune in, lean in a little bit here. That nearly all moral failure begins with self-deception. Pride comes before the fall. So when I'm thinking I'll drive just the right speed, I would imagine that there are very few people in this room who are thinking to themselves, you know what, I'm looking for a good way to sin. I'm going to fail. I'm going to find me some way to mess up. You know what, I think I'll cheat in this area later today. The disciples are the same way. In fact, literally one verse before where we picked up in our reading today Peter tells Jesus that even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the other disciples are like, Yeah, 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 me too. But by the end of the very same chapter, they've done the very thing that they vowed that they would never do. And I look at them and I'm like, losers. And then when the Spirit gets hold of me, I'm like, Hey, Robert, that's you. First Corinthians ten twelve. Paul says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. So the key to self-control is knowing that the flesh is weak. And being aware of our weakness is going to help us with the next two things. And we'll go quick. And they are to watch and to pray. So let's look at the first one. Watch. So we've got to know our weakness. Secondly, we've got to watch. Now, in the Old Testament, a watchman would be someone who stood on the walls of a city. Like all these cities, they had w- great walls around them. That's how the city was protected from outside invaders. It's why the the uh, the writer of the proverb uh, uses that language, you know, like a city with its walls torn down. Because that, that's a vulnerable city. But on top of these walls, they'd put watchmen up there and they'd try to spot enemies off in the distance so that they could guard against them. And that's how we ought to live When it comes to temptation, did you know that research shows that within a single day, you and I spend about three plus hours a day resisting temptation? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that. I'm I'm going to hold my tongue there and I'm going to not say what I really think deep down. But what happens is over the course of the day and our energies get used up, we feel a little depleted. Many of us will find ourselves more vulnerable to temptation in the evening, right? Like when we're weaker, we're more tired. It's why, the same reason, it's why a lot of young couples, they'll bicker more often when kids come along. Have you ever heard someone say like, uh, yeah, you know, er, er, maybe you've had this thought. Like, man, our marriage is kind of struggling. You're newlywed, you know. Man, marriage is kind of struggling. I've got the great idea. This will bring us together. (laughs) Children. You know, that'll, fi- that'll fix it. Let me tell you something. If, if, if there's trouble in the ranks like that, kids may not be the, the best thing to bring in to, to solve it. You know, they're, they're a blessing, but they ain't going to solve that problem, okay? Uh, they're going to put a big spotlight on that, okay? So maybe right now you want to stand on the walls of your life and start identifying some areas where you feel vulnerable to the enemy's temptation, so what would it look like for you to be a watchman in that way? Like for some people, it could be, okay, like on, on laziness. It could be like a simple thing like placing your alarm clock on the other side of the room, you know, so you don't hit snooze 100 times in the morning, although Alice and I do appreciate you hitting the snooze a couple times. Some people, maybe it's putting the TV in maybe a less comfortable part of the house so that the more comfortable part of the house is maybe a place for reading or uh, spending time with the Lord. Or keeping healthy food around the house rather than zebra cakes. You know. So I'm going to give you a quick short list. We'll throw some of these on the screen. Uh, these are just some simple ways that you could put a watchman on the wall of your life. Okay. Number one, just begin with small things. Okay. Thinking like, man, I've I really, this one area is like really out of control, but you know what? Start with a few small things. Like, you know, I'm going to take control of this one little thing, this one little habit. Secondly, clean your environment. Okay, this could be a simple, okay, now look, I'm preaching to myself, I found this list, okay, I added a few things, but uh, clean your environment, like clean your garage, okay, hello, C- clean your desk, clean the house, make a schedule, and then conform to it. Like we tend to waste more time, or not stay on task when we don't have a schedule, Wean yourself off of entertainment. Wean yourself off of entertainment. Number five, be on time. Be on time. Number six, keep your word. My wife was reminding me of this yesterday. Robert, you need to keep your word. We're going to Student Leadership University this week. And one of the things all the students will learn, I'm going to spoil this one here, is number seven. Do the hardest task first. We always call it swallowing the big frog first. So if you had to eat a lot of frogs, which one do you want to eat first? The big one. So that the rest of them are not so bad, you know. Not as bad. I should have said not so bad. they're all awful. I've never even eaten a frog, so I don't know. Number eight. Finish what you start. Unfinished tasks, sitting around, pr- provide more stress, which provides less self-control. Number nine, practice self-denial. Okay, what we mean by this is like tell yourself no every once in a while. Why would we do that? To show yourself that you're still in charge. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just got to say to yourself like, I really want another piece but self, no, you cannot have it. You know what I'm saying? I'm in charge. You know what I'm saying? I really want to watch one more episode. No, you're not. You're going to bed. You know what I'm saying? Just tell yourself no. And then no, finally, ask your DNA for help. And by the way, if you're not involved in the DNA, please. Get yourself involved in the DNA. To do that, just get involved in the missional community. If you want more information on that, go to our website, crossingparagold.com forward slash missional communities, I believe. And we'd love for you to get involved in one. But a DNA stands for discipleship through nurture and accountability. And boy, that accountability is like placing literally um, like posting a guard in between you and temptation. It was last night, by the way. um, I got a text from someone in my DNA. Uh, who was laying out some things that they struggle with. Here, here are where I feel the weakest, and I really need you to pray for me in this area. And guess what I did? I stopped right there prayed for him in that area. So the Spirit wants to produce this fruit in our lives, but it is up to us to cultivate the ground. And everything I just listed right there these are all things that anybody could do. Literally, you could do these things if you don't have the Spirit of God. In fact, people were writing about uh, self-control. It was considered a virtue before Paul ever wrote about it. Does this make sense? I mean, like the Greek Stoics were were talking about self-control before Paul ever ever said that it was like a fruit of the Spirit. You know, you could have self-control and not be a Christian. You could accomplish more. You could. Uh, you'll be more productive. You'll be more successful. All this is true. You don't even have to follow Christ for that to be true. So there is, however, more to this type of self-control that the Spirit's wanting to grow in you than just like, hey, I want to be more productive, be more disciplined, and be more successful. And that leads us to our third thing. So we want to first, we want to know that we're weak. Okay, We want to know our weaknesses. Number two, we want to watch, keep, it, keep on guard for those temptations. And thirdly, Pray. He says, watch and pray. By the way, this is the most important of the three. I almost wish I wouldn't have put it third. Because I don't want it to feel like an afterthought. Because prayer is the most important thing. John Bunyan said it this way. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Pray often. For prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. So what we're really talking about here is connection to God. Like there's got to be a greater desire to overpower the desires of the flesh. Baskin Robbins, they are famous for their 31 flavors. Y'all know that? Okay. Well, you should. Anyway, uh, Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavors. They actually have more than that now. But anyway, they still, uh, thats 31 flavors. Anyway, did you know that one of the flavors of Baskin-Robbins is orange sherbet? Yeah. Is anybody excited about that? Oh, okay. Well, all right. It's fine. You may not get this illustration. If you told me, Robert, don't you ever go into Baskin-Robbins and order orange sherbet, it's a sin. Like, don't do it. You, you must never do it. You know what? I'd be like, no problemo. <laughs> you know why? Because they also have chocolate chip cookie dough. You know what I'm saying? And as long as there is chocolate chip cookie dough underneath that glass, I promise you, I will never even be tempted to order a scoop of orange sherbet. I promise you. Okay? Why? Because there's a greater desire for some cookie dough. You know what I'm saying? And prayer... Prayer draws my affections to Christ. You know what I'm saying? I fall more in love with Him the more I pray. And therefore prayer is the greatest, the the greatest thing we could do to cultivate self-control in our life. Because when, when, when my eye is fixed on God and I'm, and I'm, I'm walking closely with Christ and in step with His Spirit, and these temptations come along, it, it's no longer just willpower. You know, like speaking of willpower, I remember like being a teenager and when the, um, oh, this is how old I am, uh, the, what is that mall? Wolf Chase Mall. It had just opened, okay, in Memphis. It's the old mall now. But uh, over on I-40, Wolf Chase Mall, when you go down the escalator, it's still this way to this day. Does anybody know what's at the bottom of the escalator on the right? Anybody? That's right, Victoria's Secret, right there at the bottom. So when the youth group would go on our trips to Memphis, you know, and I'm a teenager, we all had this, we had a we had a plan, okay? So we wouldn't fall into sin. We'd be going down the escalator, and as we went down, we'd all do this. I choose Jesus. That's what we do all the way down. I choose Jesus, I choose Jesus. We'd walk by it. It was like a big joke. But it's just like um it was will willpower, you know, and you're not gonna make it on willpower. There's gotta be a greater affection there than your affections for the things of this world. So, prayer draws us into a deeper intimacy with God, and our affections for him grow. You've heard us say it here many, many times, but you cannot expect to experience the life of Jesus and his self-control unless you're willing to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, you can't expect to have the self-control of Jesus without the connection to the Father through prayer that Jesus practiced. So ultimately, true self-control is not about bringing ourselves under our own control, but under the power of Christ. So in closing, I want to I just want to remind you because you may be sitting there thinking like, I really stink at this, you know? Like I'm fall, I'm failing all the time. But I do want to remind you that fruit growth in your life is slow. Fruit grows slowly. So if you're new to following Jesus, don't be surprised that you still lack self-control. However, fruit growth is also inevitable. It will happen. Now, if you claim to have been following Christ for 20, 30, 40 years... And you're still struggling with the very same things you were with at the beginning. Some cause for some concern. Because anyone who has the spirit of God and is walking in step with the spirit, this fruit will grow in your life. Not overnight, but over time. You will one day like, I'm even on this uh, experience that I had, you know, with the expedition or whatever. <clears throat> yes, I lost it at one point. But leading up to that was a pretty long deal. And I I do feel that like years ago, it wouldn't have lasted that long. You know what I'm saying? I feel there's been some growth in self-control in my life. So what do we do then when we fail? Or when the flesh does win out? Like it did with me. Well, there's an old hymn written in 1863. It speaks about this. And I want to read to you some of the words. I think we put them on the screen. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look to see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God, the just satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So with that being true, we can move forward with faith and we can watch God do what he does. On the day that I lost my cool with that lady, because it was the anniversary of the death of her son, God opened the door and gave me an opportunity to try to step in and make, make some things right. Later in the day, we were at a session. We had gotten to Myrtle Beach. And uh, the students are in a worship session. I get a phone call. It's time to square up with my bill. <laughs> okay? So I get a phone call. I step out of the worship service into a little room. And I answer the phone. And lo and behold, it's the same lady. And she's like, hey, Mr. Robert, you know, I'm calling to, to you know, my to square up. You know, to collect payment. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew it was her. I was like, is, is this the same lady that I spoke with earlier today? And she said, yes. And I said, look, I just want to stop and I want to apologize. I, I just want to apologize for the way that I lost my cool. And for the way I talk to you. And clearly it's been a really hard day. And then I asked her, like, can you tell me a little bit more about your son? Tell me what, tell me what happened. Is that okay if I ask? You know, that kind of thing. And she said, well, actually, this is my second son that I've lost. And that three years ago... I lost uh, an, another son to a, a driving accident. And then a year ago today, I lost this son to a um, uh, drug addiction. And uh, I just told her how sorry I was. And then I asked her, I said, would it be okay? Uh, would this be too awkward? Would it would be okay if I just pray for you, you know, while we're here. And um, we both cried and, and just prayed together. And you know, the, the Lord somehow just provided an opportunity to, like, hey, Robert, I, I see you there. Like you, yes, you, you fell over, but like, hey, it's time to get up and we're just going to, we're going to move forward and continue to walk in faith. And I'm going to walk with you. And guess what? Like Jesus didn't leave me there. You know what I'm saying? He didn't say, boy, Robert, you blew that. Like see if I bless this trip. You know, he didn't do that. And he's not going to do that with you. He's not going to leave you down there. So when you fail, Look to Him because He took all your sin. Like all the shame for the times you fall into temptation and you lack self-control, He took all that shame upon Himself on the cross. And that's why at the end of every service, we come to a time of communion.